How's it going, guys? I'm Zeke. And I'm Jake. And you're listening to Cinema Science Show Podcast, episode 75. Woo! Three we... quarter century. That's it. Oh, yeah, okay. I guess it's kind of true. What? I mean, it's technically true in terms of numbers, but century's a year, isn't it? What? No, sorry. Like, century. When you call something a century, that's 100 years, right? No. Or is it just 100 of anything? Oh, I didn't know that. Like, you can hit a century in cricket. Right. Okay. That's that's a good example. I like that. It was. It, it's it's almost... just the. It's just the Roman number. A Roman word for a hundred. That makes sense. Well, like it's based off Roman roots. Words. Words. How are we doing? Cinema Sideshow Podcast <laughs> Episode Seventy Five. Well, well, carrying off last week's episode when we talked about how you alphabeticalize uh, movies with numbers at the start, and whether it's a year or just a number. That was a good conversation. Last yeah. Week. Yeah. I, I like. The thing is, it gets confusing if you don't just do the numbers by the letter. I think so. If you pull all the numbers at the start, it gets confusing because it's right. like, how do you how do you order? I don't do an alpha. I do an alphabet, not an alphanumeric system. Okay, that's that's my thing. Where yeah. it's like that one. That yeah, I I get it. I can't it, do that, especially <laughs> when like certain movies are like you know you've got like twelve Angry Men or you've got three hundred. It's like which goes first. Right, yeah. Well, the thing is, 12 Angry Men, it's spelt with a 12, like the number 12. Yeah. Not like T-W, so, yeah. so on, so on, but, but it's, it's interesting. It's But then what if, would you put, if a movie was called, it was called 12 Angry Men with a T. Right. Would you put it in the T section or the number section? I probably would put it in the, the, the letter section, yeah. Mm. Or the, yeah. Game, set, match, bitch. <laughs> hey. I, was, I wasn't debating, but I, okay. <laughs> No, we've already had a lot of debates in our pre-show. Um, so, <laughs> how you doing, Jake? Ah, uh, I'm alright. This week has been... This has been a long week. I feel like you say that every week. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, just, it's becoming a really long year. It is. 2020's nuts. And I didn't watch... I was talking to you earlier, because I said it last week, that I, was, I finally got to play Last of Us Part 2. So, that was my entire weekend, was just playing that game. So, um, that was fun. So, not a, not a lot? No, I watched... Well, uh, there's one film I watched that was in relation to the film of the week, and I might I might talk a bit about Dirt Music. I finally finished reading the the book in time for the movie. Um, pretty much, yeah. Well, I I don't know when the movie's coming out. It's still TBA on Luna's site because now that they've actually got what's coming out on July second is actually like you can look it up now. What's yeah, quick, out, quick so, update, yeah. and I'm sure we'll talk about it a little bit mm. later in greater detail. We've just been told that our next phase of restrictions is being lifted this week. Ooh. So that means that cinemas will definitely be open. By, yeah, I think the timing was perfect in terms of them predicting. By the end of our, our Cinema Sideshow retrospective. Mm. So that'll be pretty cool. That's so we should be able to timing. hopefully, we, we can't obviously confirm because it's a couple of weeks off, but hopefully maybe bridge into a film shown in the cinema. In I'm I'm pretty weeks. confident because next week is our last film from our decade countdown. Yeah, I I maybe the week after that week. Yeah, because I think let's see how it goes first. I think. Yeah, like obviously nothing set in stone, mm. but it would be really cool to finish off with the retrospective and then move straight back into like like nothing had happened. Re- <laughs> like nothing happened. <laughs> nothing happened. Uh, Twenty twenty doesn't exist. Yeah, so, um, okay. So you don't, you've only watched the one film? I only watched one film this week. 
in and, uh, uh, that works with the film of the week. Well, I wouldn't say it works with it. Both the film of the week and this film I watched are on my poster for the essential films I need to watch. So That's that, good. That was a good tick off. I watched No Country for Old Men, which I've never seen Ooh. before. And holy crap. It's good, right? It's a good <laughs> it's a really good film. I um I I can cuz we've seen a few Cohen films between the two of us and oh, uh, yeah, yeah. we've done a couple I think on the show. We've definitely did Inside Lewin Davis. Mhm. Uh, actually might have been the one. But then of course we've talked about Big Lebowski and Fargo and Buster Scrubs. Buster Scrubs. I still haven't seen that one, but yeah, but we've seen a few, and obviously you've seen No Country for Old Men a while yeah, I, back. When did you watch it? A long time ago. Okay, okay. I've seen it like three or four times Right, it's that good. But Yeah, it's, um, it's wow. I'll just, I'll just check. I've, I mean, I think I've watched at least seven or eight of their, their films, if I think about it. Yeah, because I opened up their letterbox. You have to open up Joel's letterbox, because he's the one that directed... Most of them, because I think... Is it Ethan? I think Ethan jumped on Ethan later. Ethan writes, right? Yeah, I think I think he started co-directing quite late. So, like, he wasn't... He didn't direct uh, Fargo or Big Lebowski, for example. So, go on Joel Cohen's uh, letterbox to find out, sort of, the wider film. Wow, I've watched... Apparently, I've watched at least half their films. Yeah, the, yeah Eight, I was surprised ten, by that. I've watched... Yeah, ten of their films. So I've watched a pretty much their definitely there you, there all of their go. their better films. Yeah, well that's like the critically thing. acclaimed films. Mm. I mean, I mean the only one I've seen of theirs that I like blatantly don't like is Burn After Reading. I think that film kind of sucks. Uh, but Burn After Reading and Hail Caesar. I'm not a big fan of Hail Caesar. Okay, I st- yeah, I still haven't seen Hail Caesar. But um, with that all in context of me having seen those specific films from them. I was watching this being like, this is easily their masterpiece. Like, in terms of mm. if, there, if there was one film you have to point to being like, this is them, this is totally the film. And I was shocked by feeling that not in regards to the source material, because obviously this is based on a Cormac McCaffrey novel who did yes. The Road and stuff. So I was like, I went into this film being feeling like, if this film's amazing, it's because of the writing. It's because of Cormac McCaffrey's mm-hmm. contribution. And I was shocked to be like, no, the direction itself is like, phenomenal as well yeah. like the confidence in that film the, the bloody I mean every shot it just feels like a film not even just narrative but like just the way it looks the grittiness of it it's like this feels like a classic western it actually sort of succeeds in all of the ways that once to put a time in the west succeeds has a bit of a um, bit of a swerve too to it oh right with uh, at the tipping point of the second Sort of the second act. Well, what see, happens I'd, to Brolin's character? I've been spoiled. What happens to Brolin's character? But I was, I was told it was like halfway through the film. I'm like, that's not halfway. That's no, like, there's only twenty minutes left at that point. Yeah, is is that an actual? Yeah, like I checked the time code because okay. I thought that what happens to him happens halfway through the film, and I was like, no, this happens like two hours into a two hour fifteen minute film. There's a lot of really sort good of. performances in there. There's a, a oh tension. Javier Bardem. Is... Whoa, man. Yeah, I mean, Holy that was shit. definitely, that felt like a real mainstream break-in film for him. Um, even the ensemble cast, like Woody Harrelson, who's in it for just right, yeah, he's 10, in it for 15 a minute. minutes, but it's a really s- strong, that sit-down he has with um, Sugar in the, yeah, in, yeah. the in the hotel is, is really good. And Yeah, I mean, Josh Brolin's really good in it too. Um, oh, he's, he's fantastic in this. Yeah. He's amazing in this film. And it's sort of, uh, it's such a, when you think about it, it's such a 
kind of a simple concept for a film, really. It's a guy finds stumbles onto a lot of money mm. and and is on the run, basically. Well, that's what's so brilliant about it is it's so quiet, and I don't think there's any non-diegetic music like whatsoever, which I found was I think the shocking, f- awesome. I have to check. I think you're correct. Or there's one it's scene... at least half that it goes half the movie without any. The only scene I even remember with like actual music is when Brolin crosses over the border and he wakes up and they're all yeah, playing music. But that's di- that's diegetic. That's in the world. Yeah, I think I think you're correct. But that's what sort of grounds it's sort of and just things like just the way Sugar acts and then just using the the cow prod gun. That's like, a, yeah, that was amazing. Is, I, I love how violent it is. Yeah. Like it's not just a gunship when like limbs are flying. I'm like this yeah. is awesome, man. Yeah. Um, it's br- yeah, I love that film. So I'm really glad you enjoyed that film. I had a mixed week. So okay. a mixed week in the sense of it wasn't any inherently bad films. Um, obviously, <laughs> given the events of the world, I've been quite drawn to watching uh, Spike Lee films. Right. Um, okay. I'm, I'm excited about this. So I watched his latest Netflix release mm. in Dark. I think Dark Five Bloods. Dark Five Bloods. And I enjoyed it. I didn't think it was one of his better films, mm. but it had some really good moments in it. Um, some real classic Spike Lee stuff, which it's, upon watching, I've watched a, a decent handful of his uh, films at this point. At least three or four now? Because we've obviously, we've both four. seen Black Klansman. I've watched Do the Right Thing, Black yep. Klansman, In Darfire Bloods, and Inside Man. Oh, okay. I haven't seen Inside Inside Man? Inside Five Man? Just in, Inside Man. Okay, I'm getting that confused with The Five Bloods, which I really wanted to try and catch that this week so I could talk about it with you mm-hmm. in more detail. I couldn't, I didn't have time, but um, it's just too busy playing video games. <laughs> no, that's okay. But uh, I will he catch has it soon. 72 film director credits. Jeez. Well, does he do like a lot of shorts and music videos and stuff as well? I feel uh, like he's done a, a shit ton of like little weird commercials or yeah well there's a lot of them that don't even have posters and stuff but right okay yeah so i don't think i'm ever gonna get through his whole catalog but (laughs) too much yeah going on that's a that's a bit i really enjoyed uh into five bloods but i really enjoyed do the right thing do the right thing's awesome yeah that film is so good um and i think if i can just care i've like looking at his like you know how they always come up with the top films from each director on letterbox Mm. Uh, oh, I like the most. With yeah, the exception popular. of Malcolm Epps, X, I've hit the first couple. Like okay, good. So, um, I still think Black Klansman's been my favorite from him. Whoa! So um, better than um, do the right thing. I think so. Yeah. Woo-hoo! There's something I that's really like, but I, I might have some Adam Driver bias. Um, <laughs> that's definitely probably in there, and yeah, I think sort of the imagery that came at the end of uh, uh, Black Klansman was was really right. powerful stuff and really, you know, needs to be watched by as many people given the current events of the world. Um, I also managed to catch Ali, which was the Muhammad Ali biopic by okay. Michael Mann. Um, man, I do was not... A, that I'm was not, a while ago now, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, like 2002, 2001. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. But it was fine. It was very biopic-y. Um, <laughs> the biopic was by okay so yeah. it's, it's a narrative and like well it follows yeah. uh, Muhammad Ali's crucial years and leads okay. up to the rum, rumble in the jungle his big fight with George Foreman which is his yep. most famous fight um, in which he was a lot older than George Foreman and he won the 
against an undefeated. The name is suspiciously similar to a name that has been in the news lately. Oh, yes, mm-hmm. it's true. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it was um, fine. I'm not a big fan of Michael Mann films. Oh, um, really? Not a big fan? Can't think... Of, I like Collateral. Um, mm. he's, pretty, he's good. Like, like, just... He wouldn't be in, like, my my top five directors. Yeah, yeah. Like, that. He's... like He's not a bad director or anything like that. He's just... I, he doesn't really stand his, out, sometimes I suppose. Sometimes his shaky cam can be a bit much. Mm, okay. Um, like, sometimes I want to be like, can you put it on a tripod, please? Like, <laughs> especially in Ali. Sometimes it was getting really, like... Crazy. I know it's always meant to feel like we're really... Do- like, some people like it because it's that... When you're boxing. Yeah. He did some cool things with cameras. Like, he always comes up with kind of really creative ways. Like, the way he made collateral, like driving in a taxi kind of interesting was always really liked that and his use uh, of and in in Ali he's he got he's got like a very early GoPro or, or something oh. like it that it doesn't look great but I can see what he's trying to do with it at least I feel like he was an early adopter of digital yeah I'd say so yeah from uh, memory that sounds right yeah um and then yeah I think the only other film I watched this week this is the film that of the week. is the film of the week. So it was a light week for me too. Oh, well, there you go. See, we're, we're, all, we're all relaxed here in the cinema side show. Things are going going swimmingly. Yeah, on air, they're definitely going well. <laughs> <laughs> in, our, in our fake bubble of uh, film discussions. You know it. Oh, let's I also, it I, I guess I've just been watching, uh, you know, little bits and bobs here and there on a, like I said, I ra- did I say last week on the show I wrapped up Community? I don't he did actually no wow okay you told me about it like, uh, the show. yeah i see I, sometimes i find it tough because we spend a lot of time together yeah um but uh <laughs> yeah Sounds no like uh, so i as you know i'm a huge fan of community mm. uh, off the air and on the air i haven't really talked about a lot obviously dan harman has gone on to make rick and morty which is divisive at best between us for sure yeah um this last season but yeah so uh yeah honestly i I've, I've, I rem- had fond memories of the show. I was one of the diehard fans of the show. Um, I actually watched it as it was going to air from like season three onwards. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I was one of those people that they, when they talk about it, it had a cold following. I was, and their radical supporters of the show. I was one of the radical cult followers. <laughs> um, and I stand by it upon rewatching it. Um, the last two seasons, obviously. Dan Harmon was the showrunner for the show and was taken off for season four. So it's pretty widely known that season four is the weakest of the seasons. I can confirm that is definitely true. Um, (laughs) But obviously five and six, I I kind of put it to the mantra where it's like, they're like the Jamaican bobsled team, you know, like in the end of Cool Runnings, they they, they get over the finish line, but they had to carry the bobsled because community did very much because characters were leaving the show. Uh, you know, Chevy Chase was kicked off it because he was of his attitudes mm-hmm. and his controversial behaviour. Uh, Donald Glover left for personal reasons to pursue his music career, um, which went pretty well for him. Are you referring to a bobsled that may have something to do with the film of the week? Mm, maybe is that, is that just, what you're talking maybe about? Maybe I'm teasing it. Oh. Um, or maybe I just watched Cool Runnings. Fear <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the rhythm. One or uh, the other. But, yeah, no... Uh, the last two seasons are really good, and the the finale okay, is one cool. of the stronger finales I've seen from a show, like a real finale. It's not what How I Met Your Mother did, where they retcon their finale. 
Have you heard it? You <laughs> that read... was a meme, I think. That's why I kind of know what the ending of it, that show is. Well, yeah, and the, the whole thing is that now on the DVD, the last two episodes of the show that mm. aired are on a separate disc. So you can finish on the disc before, oh. and then it goes to the title, How I Met Your Mother, when he meets the mother. But then all the stuff happens after that. So it's like the El Camino of sort of how I met your mother. The epilogue you can choose not to have, and most people choose not to have. In all seriousness, yeah. it's fine. It's ter- It's terrible. But it's like... <laughs> it's fine. It's terrible. Yeah. Community definitely finishes stronger. And I stand by five and six. Six especially. It's fascinating how they got that sixth season. Because every season mm. they were like on the verge of cancelling. They just got one more season, one more season. And then the sixth season was picked up by Yahoo.com. Yahoo! For their streaming service. And just to think that Yahoo had a streaming service and they did the final season of the show. just That's how much Harmon wanted to get to six seasons so we could do the six seasons in a movie. <laughs> right. Thing, gotcha. Which is going to happen. It's going to happen. Oh, he's still riding um, that train. But honestly, some of the best episodes of comedy television I've ever watched. Damn. It's high praise. Uh, um, Intro to Chaos Theory got, is like phenomenal that right. episode it's a if there was one episode i would recommend you watch jake it's season three episode three into okay. the chaos theory free or free i like it yeah no well that that makes sense because like i guess in a similar vein where obviously for those who know i'm watching the office i just hit the fifth season so again there i mean i think four dips a little bit is in terms of the comedy but it was also the writer's strike year so like it's a bit mm. shorter that fourth season so um but i'm loving the start of season but i'm like it's really funny yeah, it's it's really interesting mm. to sort of talk about those shows in hindsight because you know you look at Krasinski, um, and Steve Carell, I guess. Carell, you talking about like where they went on after? Yeah. That. yeah. Oh, even things like Arrested Development. Like, look at the lineup in Arrested right, Development. Yeah. That's insane. How like all those actors, and, and that's why that show kind of makes like next to no sense when they brought it back because all those actors are like real Hollywood staple actors now. Right. So it's yeah. Like, when they came back, it always felt like, whoa. Yeah, it feels like this weird like thing where they're a bit more self-aware yeah. of that. I was watching last night, there's a video on a lot of the comedians who auditioned for The Office and like certain characters. Yeah. And you have like Seth Rogen trying to do Dwight and stuff. And it's like a little off-putting. Hmm. Bob Odenkirk does um, Michael Scott, who's Steve Carell's character. And he's like weirdly good in that role. Like, yeah, but... I, I think Steve Carell nails it, but it was, like, weird to see this alternate reality. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's sort of, like, at the end of the day, for most of the community cast, um, they were unknowns going in, and, I mean, you know, they've become known mm. on the way out. Like, obviously, you know, Donald Glover got more famous through his music, and Alison Brie's now a pretty synonymous voice actor, at least, actress at least. Yeah, for sure. Um, and Horse Girl fanatic. <laughs> so weird that movie sorry I feel like a bad trip I still haven't watched it um, yeah or something <laughs> I mean I mean, she's definitely found her like they've, like they've all gone on to do things but at the end of the day it's like it's really nice to see a show where they all come from like even like Ken yeah exactly he really gave a platform for Ken Jong, who was the naked guy in Hangover yeah exactly and I really like I like that and I think he's brilliant he's way better as um, Chang than he is as um, I don't even remember his name in Hangover isn't he? He's Chow. He's Chow. Yeah, he's in Chow. <laughs> what a differentiation <laughs> there. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. So I rewrap that show and I'm just resuming Peaky Blinders now. Very nice. Very exciting. Yeah. Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you a bit about Dirt Music just in the, um, before we move on, just in the context of the movie is about to come out, hopefully in the next month or so. 
Um, like I said, it's not coming July 2nd when a lot of other films are, but surely it's around the corner. They probably have a DCP sitting somewhere, hopefully. But, oh, I um, would hope so. Yeah, so... Might be trouble if they don't. I joked... A- <laughs> exactly. Like, oh, we've lost the one hard drive with everything <laughs> on it. Um, no, so I said a couple of weeks back... The editor took off with it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, deep wounds for some. Um, what was I going to say? So the... A lot of context humour this week. <laughs> yeah, I know. The people are just like, what are you guys talking about? Uh, I shouldn't do the dumb voice because that's a genuine question for just our normal listeners. We love you. We listeners. love. We thank you for listening to the Cinema Sideshow podcast. <laughs> like well, we're dying. I know. We're about to go on a sponsorship now. We're sponsored by Coca-Cola. <laughs> um, all right. So, no. I said a couple of weeks ago that I thought Dirt Music was not going to be a good film. Yes. And... I want to clarify a bit on what I'm talking about there because it's not like, oh, Australian movies suck. It's like, that's not where I'm coming well, they from. <laughs> They're hard to get right for some reason. But, um, you know, I, you know what? I really I really want to rewatch um, Nightingale because obviously we really enjoyed the film. I, I remember being like, the third act's really long. I feel like I won't feel that way the second mm-hmm. time I watch it, but anyway, we'll see. I don't know if I can stomach that film again. Oh, that's... <laughs> it's an intense film. My mum says she wanted to watch it. I'm like... <sighs> Ugh. I want to say yes, but I also don't want to say wanna, yes. I want to say yes. That's the thing. It's, it's like, really that one scene that's like oh, so across the some line. Some of the murders are pretty brutal too. Yeah, but... They've really I've, drawn out too, that one mm, where she mm. kills the bloke. I think yeah. that just that one, and everyone who's watched the film knows exactly what we're talking about. I think that's the one scene where like, that is the absolute like, ooh, I don't know if I can recommend this. Not, I mean, it's a great film, but... Yeah, I think that's what it comes back. It's not for the faint of heart. I think we even exactly. said it on our review. It's exactly, not for the faint yeah. of heart. So, you know. Um, it was a weird theater uh, experience we sat in. <laughs> I loved it, though. The, oh, there, like, that's what I go to. Like, when I go to a cinema, I go for, like, an experience. And that yeah. film was an experience, yeah. for, for better or worse. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, I enjoyed was... that screening way more than I enjoyed, like, the JoJo screening. Right, okay. Everyone was, like, too enthusiastic in a way. Bit, it's a bit pretentious for me, wasn't I? Like, what, felt, the crowd or the film? Crowd. Right, yeah. No, yeah. film's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I really but, wish I'd seen that film in the smaller cinema. Like, yeah. I think it's... I've seen it on, like, a small... I've seen it in my own room, and I think it holds up comedy-wise. It's obviously, everyone's excited. You know, early access, Tiger with Titty, blah, blah, blah. So, uh, that makes sense. Um, I'm not sure if we even talked about the crowd in our podcast. I'm sure we did. No. But... I, don't, I can't remember. Yeah. It was too long ago, man. We're, we're old men now. <laughs> we're, we're too I would old like men. to revisit it. Um, mm, I was for sure. The, one of the strongest parts of that was to shoot in the, in the 4x3 format. Like Yeah, the, that the was real, interesting. I really liked the way they shot it to really get that sort of length in the frame. Yeah, so everything sort of feels... Even just the way they sort of frame characters where it's not your usual, like, you've got to hit the, the rules of... Not four yeah. by three. I mean the well the 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 rule of thirds. Real ge- it changes it's a, it's, in that aspect ratio. Was sure. a real pleasant surprise. Yeah, and I love when mid nineties did as well. But we yeah we don't get into that. Um, so I, I swear I'm not segueing from uh, music on purpose. Just avoiding but it. <laughs> I'm avoiding it. No, so so look, I finished reading that. Actually, I think I finished it before the last podcast. But we just we didn't. I, I was like, oh, I don't need to talk about it yet. Let me digest yeah. on the, the thoughts. I think the book is at its best written by Tim Winton when it, fe- it feels like an exploration or, or sort of a character study on Georgie who's the protagonist um, who I don't know I don't know I don't remember who she's played by in the film we'll obviously find out and hopefully maybe we can even do an, a podcast on that film 
Um, I think, yeah, I think it's at its best when it's just it's a studying her in terms of the way she acts. It's like this single mm. mother. Um, she's sort of married into this family. The kids don't really like her, or she sort of unintentionally, you know, she breaks the skateboard, for example. So now the kids hate her for that. And yeah, um, but she's also sort of this nurse, so she sees a lot of messed up stuff. But I think that aspect of the f- uh, I was going to call it a film. That aspect of the book I found really interesting. And I don't know if the film's going to be all that subtle about it because the poster... I watched the trailer. I actually liked the trailer a lot okay. for the movie, but the poster looks very, like, romance. Like, very romance-centric. Uh, and I think that's actually the weaker part of the, the the novel is its romance and the relationship she has with Lou Fox and stuff. And I'm like, I'm worried that the film's going to focus on that more so than, like, her as a character because mm-hmm. I think she could be a really interesting character on screen. But the other thing is just the way the book's written is so... The pacing is so sort of quick in yeah. a lot of ways. And it's you know it's written like a novel where the pr- the prime example is when she's at a funeral, someone leaves like, I think it's a handkerchief on her lap. Mm-hmm. And then the next half page is sort of describing this character and the handkerchief and sort of the relationship there. It's like, I don't know how you would show that unless it's like an Edgar Wright type speedathon. And this film shouldn't have that tone. Yeah. So I don't know how they're going to do it. And I think... I think there is narration because the trailer has what I assume is narration. I mean, that's going to help a lot, but I also don't know if it's going to translate. You don't have high hopes. No, I think I'm going in quite cautiously. And the film also didn't review very well, unfortunately. So that's just another aspect of like, oh, maybe it's not going to do this or that. Because the book's well received. The book's got a lot of At least it was shot near your house. That's true. And I will say, reading the whole book from start to finish, I don't know what they would have shot on my street. I don't get it. You know, I'm in a little cul-de-sac. Yep. You know, I don't live down by the... Oh, half the houses in this are like... If it was like a lake house where there's lots of windows, you can mm. see the lake from, you know, their bedroom, basically. That's that's what I pictured. And I don't it's know... It's really just your swimming pool. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even have a swimming yeah. pool. <laughs> no, they got um, you one in. It's a prop swimming pool. Yeah, I, I blinked and I missed it. It's like the one in Judy. Like, that's just oh, all... Oh, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Big pool parties or prop. <laughs> Uh, Judy's a it's an okay movie. I didn't mind it. Um, but yeah, that was the anyways. ending made me really teary. Oh really? Yeah. Or well, when she sings somewhere. Yeah, the yeah. That's a good point. It's the strongest part of the movie. Yeah. And then she dies like what four months after that. Yeah. Spoiler alert for a real life person. <laughs> um, but anyway, I'm happy to move on from that. I don't have any career updates. Neither. All right. <laughs> Doing me online units. Right, yeah. Bridging into my master's degree. There you go. It's going. I'm just at home doing nothing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would say the thing I was teasing last week, it hasn't come out yet. Again, that was like a little wishful thinking if it was going to come out early. I'll give it another week. If it's not out by next Monday, I'll just tell people what the project is. No dramas. Um, Keep I'm, them waiting in anticipation. Exactly. I'm just hoping I could talk about it when it's out there. But I don't know anything about what the status is. So we'll find out shortly. No drama ramas. It's time for us to bridge into our drama film ramas. of the week. Our second last in our Ooh. cinema sideshow countdown through the decades Damn. retrospective. You guys pick them, we watch them. <laughs> <laughs> right at the end, you've got like a new little slogan at the yeah. end. Uh, right at the end. Obviously, we're moved into the 1940s. Mm. But, Jake, what are we watching? This week on the show, we're watching Citizen Kane. Charles Foster Kane is... He started the war. 
But do you think if it hadn't been for Mr. Kane, the United States would have the Panama Canal? Charles Foster Kane is nothing more or less than a communist! Kane, governor. Listen, when the voters of this state and Mrs. Kane learn what I found out about Mr. Kane and a certain little blondie named Susan Alexander, he couldn't be elected dog catcher. I'm going to skin Mr. Charles Foster Kane alive. The investigation of a publishing tycoon's dying words reveals conflicting stories about his scandalous life. Nailed on the first go. Thank you. you. Thank you. What are you talking about? I always nail it on the first go. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's just because I stuffed it up bad last night. It's because it's... Publishing tycoon's dying words reveals conflicting... Like, it's all one sentence, man. It's a mouthful. Yeah. This film was directed by Orson Welles. Who's that? And is our latest (laughs) director's corner. This is his first film. Doesn't that make you feel bad? (laughs) (laughs) We still got two years or... Two... Yeah, two and a half years, roughly. Two and a half years. This is... Immaculate. Mm. Fantastic. Go... When's the last time you've used immaculate? I'm trying to expand my vocabulary. <laughs> um, yeah, no, this, this film feels revolutionary. Mm. And I think that's going to be a key point as we both enjoyed the film. Um, I personally, I mean, the plot is relatively... The play-by-play plot is pretty straightforward. I never found myself mm. getting lost in the story. Right. Um, and I think what this film really is a showcase for is it's a showcase of finding a different way to tell a relatively simple story and innovating in ways that had, up until that point, never been done before. Mm. Yeah, that was my takeaway as well. Like, there's so many firsts in this film. And I, that, I went into that knowing that. Like, that's why a lot of people talk about this film as like, oh, it introduced a lot of techniques and stuff. Um, and yeah, you can absolutely see it. And not even just the yeah. narrative structure, but the way it's shot. I thought the cinematography was like ridiculously good. Yeah. Um, which of course it is. But I think what makes this film so interesting, because I put it in the same tier as uh, you have, I think you have the big three American films. You have Casablanca, Gone with the Wind and, and this film. Mm-hmm. And now that I finally have seen all three of them, um, I don't know if this is necessarily my favorite of those three. Okay. Um, or even something like 12 Angry Men, which came a little later. I think I would still prefer to watch that film. But obviously, I still love this film, and I think it's such a demonstration, from a from especially doing Awesome Wells as our director's corner. It's such a great showcase for him and to show someone who just stumbled into film. That's what it feels like. Yeah, I mean, it comes back to, obviously, the man himself was heavily into... He was a kid genius, as a lot mm. of people refer to him as, and... Um, we both have watched the documentary They'll Love Me When I'm Dead. I haven't seen it. Oh, you have not seen no, it? I watched it like a week and a half ago. So <laughs> um, this is handy for me. So obviously, yeah, he was kind of a kid genius, heavily involved in literature and stuff. Mm. And then he went into the radio plays. And yes. That's sort of where he got that's his reputation one. as a broadcaster um, and sort of writing his stories and then putting them over the radio. Um, which is what they did back in the day before television. Well, the and... one the one that I have heard this was years ago now, but I listened to the the War of the Worlds one, which of course is yes, insanely. I, I don't want to say infamous, but it terrified a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, and there's a story. I think you can't uh, you can't watch this film and just not be blown away by mm. some of the things they managed to achieve in the time in which they achieved it right. with the resources that they would have achieved. There's things like 
certain cuts that are mm. feel like something we'd see today. And yeah, exactly. Not even executed nearly as well today. And for them to do that on film, it's insane when you think about it. Like physical film. They mm. they made this film with you know, physical film with these gigantic boxes <laughs> and they're doing those dolly shots that crane in down and through the the ceiling into the into the restaurant. And you're like, that would be tough for me to do now. Right. How yeah. how how insane is it that if obviously it's two shots cut together, but the mm. way that they've done that though is just very impressive. Yeah, I think when I was watching this, and I I noticed a lot of that where, yeah, I I I feel like up until this point you don't really see cranes used in that interior setting the way you did. It's like when I think of like an epic shot, like Gone with the Wind has like a couple of those money shots, but those are in wide vistas where it's like you could fit anything. Yeah. In like in terms of equipment and people and stuff, and this one it's like it feels weirdly effortless for something that is using so many techniques that a lot of filmmakers were not even attempting to try and do at this yeah. point in time. I just think things like this, like even lighting and mm. how you use Lighting's a silhouette amazing. lighting in certain shots, I found it incredibly intriguing when he would step in and out of shadows and he'd talk in the shadows and then step mm. out. And But he'd have a full conversation in the shadows and it's it doesn't look amateurish because it always feels intentional because it's trying to you know, tell that story about this guy who basically wants to create a, a newspaper and be nothing but honest and only tell the objective truth. Mm. Um, but and then he ends this... up gets caught in his own uh, pride, I guess, and yeah, his yeah, own yeah. own stories with his own scandal, which inherently leads to his failed election campaign. I feel like in terms of, yeah, the narrative and like the, the sort of the portrait of of, is it Charles Kane? Yes, Charles Foster Kane. Foster Kane, that's it. You think it's because of the foster parent that he has? Is that where that comes uh, from? <laughs> uh, could potentially be that. Oh. But, um, yeah, so no, in, in terms of creating this portrait of this guy, I, I love that. I love that it's su- kind of super relevant mm-hmm. today because I know uh, uh, Wells was very sort of iffy on who exactly this is being portrayed by, but the, in terms of the actual events of this person's life, it was based on William uh, Randolph Hearnest, who is... I would compare him to Rupert Murdoch today, maybe. Yeah. But um, ba- basically taking elements from that, elements from his own life, and sort of cramming into this story, where you're right, it's, it's, this is a guy who like wanted to spread his truth around and using the newspaper to do this and getting caught in his own scandal. But what I love is sort of the visual representation of the puzzle piece and us trying to puzzle together his life. And yeah. Even like when I've opened up my Blu-ray, because I've owned this Blu-ray for years, I've never seen it before. Um, the actual disc art is is a puzzle piece, so it's it's kind of giving you, it's throwing you the the mm. uh, symmetry, the the symbolicness and in I, your face. I think it's it's also someone who um, gets corrupted by the world around him. He goes mm. into the world with a uh, certain uh, innocence, and the world slowly corrupts him and he gets caught in the corruptibility that he's trying to expose so easily and it's sort of it's equated to his wealth and as he gets wealthier Mm. the more corruptible he gets and if that's i mean that's not a a state a statement on capitalism i don't know what is (laughs) well that's the thing you're right because he's given 
I mean, he's not giving the trust to, him to his 25, which I thought was an interesting choice because that's how old Orson Welles yeah. was when he shot this, I believe. But the fact that he was a child and a very innocent child, he's out playing in the snow mm. uh, when this sort of life is thrust upon him, where now he has this sort of foster guy and, and we see at Christmas he's like given all these presents or yeah. this, uh, the snow sled. Um, so you're right, he's sort of thrust into this life and as he gets older and more entrenched into this world, I, I feel like you're right. As in, it's a product of the things around him that kind of causes him to end up in these well, scandals and this and that. And I mean, that's what the emphasis on the mansion is. This, mm. this a massive size and he basically lives on an island by himself. It's like Nosferatu by the end of his basically. life. <laughs> and, you know, he's it all comes back to the whole the whole search for what his dying words mean. Mm. And, you know, what does Rosebud mean? And it, it comes back to how simple he was when he was once a boy playing with a sled by himself and didn't need all of the materialism around him. And this mm. has become a product of the corruptibility around him. As he as he get, gets wealthier and richer, the, the, the worse a person he inherently becomes. Yeah. So. Well, it, it goes back to that quote, and this was something that kind of threw me... Because I, I knew where the film was going. I feel like... Because there's a lot of, like, Simpsons spoofs and stuff. on. A lot of people say, oh, Mr. Burns is essentially Citizen Kane in this because they've done the flashbacks and mm-hmm. it, it ties into his story which is probably a joke but you can say that's canon yeah. anyway that's the point that's how I knew a lot of the story beats in this film was frankly through these Simpson <laughs> jokes and even the Rosebud scene and all, and all of that stuff but there's a there's a single line right at the end I've got it here I don't think there's one word that can describe a man's life and this film is basically like well no they, sometimes there can be and it's like Rosebud it's just a word and we can get into semiotics and all that, you know, screen yeah. furry shit that we've done it, you know, back at school. But of course. the, I think just understanding the meaning of what that word means to him and understanding it just is a representation of this larger thing. Cause it's not just the word. It's also the, the globe, the snowy globe that he drops. Yeah. So I just think, well, from it's that a sense, word. It's, it's a memory. Clever. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a, it's a life that once was his life. Mm. And it's no longer... It was and, taken away from him. Yeah, exactly. And I think um, <laughs> that's that's exactly it. It's, it comes back to money. Does money buy happiness? And clearly not, because yeah. he ends up alone. And Oof. honestly, the, the thing... I, I say this to you. Um, to me. To you. Not the that the the story <laughs> is it's a relatively simple story. It's yeah. not an overly complicated story. It's about a guy who wants to do right by the world, and the world slowly corrupts him into what's wrong with it. And um, there's probably you know there, there's ways of analysing it, and it comes back to why films like this are so great, and it's the same thing why films like Parasite are so great is there are layers mm-hmm. to it. This for me though, this film unlike something like The Third Man, which, although he did not direct, has gone on to say he heavily influenced okay, yeah. the style and direction of the film unofficially. I can totally see that, though. Um, and, yes, and he wrote most of the script and sort of got duped out of it by Carol Reed. Mm. There's a big hoopla about it. but And yes, he, of course, has a starring role in it. Yeah. 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 Plays literally one of the most likable villains on the planet. <laughs> um, does he not? Do you not I, no, do you no, not no. go for him in that film? Um, and that's I was, sort just, of, I was too busy looking at the architecture in the film. But that's my thing. <laughs> it's and there's just various amounts of iconography that you could mm. point to in countless decades of films after it. But 
the technical achievements this film achieves mm. are easily what is the strongest part of its legacy. The fact that some of the camera work, the lighting, the, the, the set pieces, the like the way of conveying information, the the way it's even edited from its like mm. these these match I love cuts the editing in this film, yeah. Where it go uh, the the pseudo documentary mockumentary presentation mm. it even has where it as the reporter is is up until the end really it kind of mixes between a, a cinematic film and an investigative uh, documentary about this as they piece together his life you know he does the way that they frame the shots with you know like his his ex colleague and and his ex flame they frame them as if they're interviews in a documentary with the reporter sitting off to the right hand yeah, side. Yeah, that's good. Like, yeah, it's a good one. It's, even like the way we dolly in. Oh, it's even it's talking. frame. It's pretty much the same as what Scorsese did with with the Irishman. And like, mm. who's who's De Niro with talking Frank Sheeran, to? Yeah, yeah. Who's he talking? Well, we never find out, do we? No, nope. even think of that. He's really just kind of talking to himself. <laughs> he's just, that's an interesting yeah, interpretation. I'm he's, in a movie. He's just crazy. He's just talking to himself. Yeah, but no, yeah, you're right. We we don't know, so yeah, it's I I think that they're easily the strongest elements of this this film and his direction. With him, he was just an innovator. You know, it's like this film was met with praise, but then you had a film like A Touch of Evil, which had to take Mm. years before it got recut, and it's a masterpiece. It has some of the the most. It has a, a seven minute one shot at the start of it. And it's just, oh, it blows you away. Seven minutes? Yeah. This film? No, A Touch of Evil. Oh, I was going to say. Yeah, but this, like, like, this like, so I feel like every film I've seen from him has delivered, uh, you know, different innovations. And you can see, like, why he should be considered up there as one of, like, the greatest directors. Um, I feel like, unfortunately, this film always, because it was so good and so well-praised, mm. it always meant that he was often always brought back to his citizen. And, I mean, he often said, the best film I, I've made is the next one I'm making. Right, yeah. Which I, I, I always like, liked I that, like that expression. <laughs> um, so, I, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would say that's fair to say that all the films I've seen from him are, are enjoyable. And yeah, because I've... Try different things. That's the big thing. Mm. They really try different things. Because I haven't seen a lot of his films, um, regrettably. We did Other Side of the Wind way mm. earlier in the show and i don't remember being a huge fan of that i mean you could see sprinkles of his like what he did with the documentary style that yeah, opens I mean, this film if you watch if you watch the documentary yep. about making that film you'll see obviously there were huge error you know there were huge uh production uh yeah, problems you can really imagine with how lot <laughs> how lot it took to because i because i remember explaining i was explaining to my brother today why because he was looking up Orson Welles when I was watching the movie next to him. And he was like, oh, how did you get an award in 2018 or got nominated when he died decades ago? And I had to explain the film when he just came out, of course, and that he died years after the production. It just Anyway, but um, I thought that was quite funny. But just even saying that, I haven't seen a lot of his films. Watching this one, you're right. It's like you can tell that there was something so special about him not being a huge film. I mean, it was like when you know Tarantino started... He's, he wasn't a film study or a scholar. He was a film watcher. Yeah. And that's what made his film so unique is because he sort of had this part of this film brain of his that he sh- intentionally shut out 
And I feel like that's why this film is so special because there were so many rules at the time that are broken. And I think, you know, we joked earlier, I've only seen like maybe four or five films that even precede this film. Films like, um, I think Pocahontas, no, not Pocahontas, uh, Pinocchio, um, Gone with the Winds, only like two years earlier. Yeah. And it's like, those films, those are scenes. They have a scene, a scene, a scene, a scene. And this one is not only the way he shot it, but it's the way it's all edited together where it's so fluid and it feels it feels like a bit of a, a fast paced Scorsese film in that way, which is really strange. Yeah. I think it comes back to you gotta look at the reason why this you know, this film's forty one, so nineteen forty one. So it's kicking off this decade that is hailed by cinephiles yep. as one of the golden decades, this in the seventies. And really, this is because this was the start of that new generation of of filmmakers who were brought in into, you know, like you said, most of them weren't scholars because there was nothing to be a scholar at film yet. Film was hardly a a high art form at this point in Mm. time. So that was, uh, films were just, in fact, they were perceived for long, like took another 20 years to be perceived as actual theoretical high art. So, you know, for these guys, it's like, Sound and Cinnamon had only been around for, at this point, 12 years, Mm. you know? And it's why a lot of films in the 30s kind of feel, at least the early 30s, feel very clunky with their dialogue because they didn't have to write dialogue before. (laughs) I had to get used to it, yeah. So it either sounded very much like a cabaret show, like a theatre production, or it sounded, yeah, always sounded just off. Mm. And because they used to... And they make fun of it in Singing in the Rain. They used to overact. Yeah. They had to actually talk. That's such a great film, yeah. And um, so you bring in people like people like Orson Welles. This was a great opportunity for him because he wrote radio plays. You know, he was this guy yeah, who he was... kind of knew dialogue in that way, yeah. He kind of knew how to tell a story audibly. Mm. And I think that's I the like key that. because what he needed to apply to make him stand out was his visual flair. And I think that he nailed that too, <laughs> he na- and he did. He nailed that too, and he—that's why you know people like him are the reason why people like Lucas and Spielberg exist. Mm. And we need to remember. And then people like you know people from today exist because of people like Spielberg. Mm. You know, and it's like you know that's sort of the domino effect. But it's had to start somewhere, and it started with people like like Orson who took uh, a camera and basically going, okay, well, we could just shoot it, like, scene by scene the, by scene yeah. by scene. The way we perceive coverage nowadays, I suppose. Yeah. Or we could try some crazy shit. <laughs> and he he's one of the first people to really... Uh, and, and obviously, you know, he probably had huge uh, inspiration from various different Eastern European filmmakers mm. who were a big cornerstone of innovation uh, away from the classic Hollywood mold. Cause this film doesn't feel this film doesn't really feel like a, a classic Hollywood picture of the time. No, it like compared um, to like gone with the wind, which was like two years earlier. Like yeah. it, th- those films do not reflect each other at all in yeah. terms of the way it looks in this shot. Or even the film we'll be watching next week on the show. Oh, um, but it's like, yeah, this this feels way more art house. It feels like it's trying to do things that are different, 
And that's why it works, because this film becomes timeless. It's like we talked about 12 Angry Men. It's like it's such an easy... Because what of Lou May was trying to do with the camera in that circumstance mm. and make one room look interesting. It's like here, he's trying to tell a story, which really is... Guy gets given a lot of money, has an affair, ruins ruins his reputation. And that's, at its core, sort of what's happening here. But it's making that dynamic and interesting. And you can totally see how someone like Scorsese was influenced by someone like Orson Welles with Citizen Kane. It's oh the editing God, yeah. and the cutting and the moving forward. And that's where it starts with. This guy innovated a lot of different camera angles. Like, think mm. about like how many camera angles you there. Like, the way he uses low angles and... There's a lot of headroom, which I found very interesting. Yeah. In all of these, even the wide angles, yeah. And silhouette lighting. Like, that's my thing. It's like having that real harsh backlight mm. that he loves using. Um, doesn't get used too much anymore, those sort of harsh backlit lights, but... Yeah, because this is a very, like, n- uh, noir film. Like, this is noir at its purest form, I think. And... Yeah, the third man is as well in a way as I would well, say the but... third man would be the most pure form noir. Yeah, for sure. Um, I feel like the story of this didn't necessarily need to feel like a noir story because no. it's about a guy who runs a newspaper and he does this and that. And I, and I think the fact that it has that noir flair to it, it just makes it more interesting. It makes it feel like there's something more sinister going on than we realize yeah. and we we kind of find out that there kind of is like but yeah and it also comes back to yes yeah, but it's like, and just with that noir flair but and then the mockumentary thing it's mm. like it, the genre mash sounds, sounds like a dance move do the john john do the genre mash is is really innovative the of the time it's this is not just a sole genre film mm. it's got multiple different genres and you know we look at we, we, we talk about things like, you know, uh, American Animals, which they merged the documentary and, and film genres, and we think that that was innovative for the, that, and that was that was in 2017, <laughs> and it's like this film's in 1941 and doing it. Yeah. Well, it's a little... Because di- I, I know what you mean by, in terms of the way they frame the interviewee to the left and the interviewer to the right. Yeah. Like, the framing, I get what you mean in terms of it feeling like a reference to that. I think American Animals is still like... Very it's distinctly, a little bit more dull, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely way more documentary grounded. But Yeah. It feels way more like intentional in that it's more subtle in this film, I feel like. Yeah. I hope that's But the investigation through. makes <laughs> the bird, there's a bird like it sounds like it's having sex right outside your window. Jesus. <laughs> um but you the audience can enjoy it. It's yeah. nature. It's a. It is. It oh, is nature. It's, it stopped. It stopped. It's already finished. Okay. Pathetic. Did you? Uh, what, did you have anything else you want to uh, bridge into? Um. Let's see. Well, like I was saying about the dialogue, what I love about it so much is, like, you're right. It because he comes from this like audio play. <laughs> I think Zeke's, Zeke's had enough. He's gonna shut the window. Um. That's alright. So what I was gonna say is like with the dialogue. It. You're right. Not only the fact that he had. Uh, this experience with the audio plays and, and doing the War of the Worlds and stuff, but it's just in addition to how he used dialogue in a filmic sense and how he edits dialogue. And that's why, like, when it was something like the rehearsal for the, the speech, the election speech, and it's the words seamlessly transition and cut into him doing that speech, or even the, you know, Merry Christmas cut to Happy and a Happy New Year, like, that stuff was really clever. And I feel like that's the kind of stuff that we haven't seen done before. So, very sneaky, Zeke. I like it. 
bit of behind the scenes stuff there. <laughs> Listen to Massage Show podcast. Uh, bird it. chirp edition. Bird the bird chirp edition. Do the genre mash. Do the genre mash. <laughs> I'm just um, trying to get all these quotes out so we actually have a shirt. <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. That's for 100. We just start selling shirts of all these quotes. <laughs> like today's episode, directorial debut. Yeah. We haven't done that in a while. <laughs> no. Um, but this actually was his directorial debut. It actually was, which. Again, it's shocking. I think that's what makes this film so special. Is like I said, it's just so many things about this film that feels like it's breaking rules, and it's like no, this is just the director who sort of has a very fixated idea of what films can be. Mm. And I think he just—I don't want to say he got lucky because there's a, there's a genius to him getting this right in terms of the the silhouette lighting and the the way he. I mean, I even love the fact that it's, there's so many long wide angles. There's almost it, no I think basic it just coverage. comes back to its risk. I think that was it. Mm. He was willing to take a risk, um, and it paid off. Um, I would definitely say that there is a a genius in there, for sure. Absolutely, um, yeah. He's definitely proven it with ladder films in his career. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's you're not going to beat a directorial debut like this. I don't think. Um, there's not many. There's not many out there that could probably rival it. We've got, we've got two and a half years, Zeke. Two and a half years. Well, I've I've already kind of shot the bell, haven't I? Because I made disconnected, kind of. Does that? Yeah, technically it does. That shoots me in the foot. See, I can't pull like a Kubrick, where he's like, "Oh, fear and desire." I never made that. What are you talking about? <laughs> can't you? Uh, <laughs> it might be a little too late. That's too many Facebook posts I have to delete. <laughs> no worries. Well, did you uh, did you have anything else you'd like to? Uh... Um, before we get in the highlight scenes. Yeah. Let's see. Um. No, I mean, we kind of touched on sort of the narrative structure of going back and forth in his life, which I think works excellently here because mm-hmm. it does feel like an investigation and we're learning things as we go along. And then, of course, the cinematography is like its own league of excellence. Um, I guess the one other thing I noticed about cinematography is how often the sort of this motif of looking through mirrors mm. and how like right at the start we see the reflection through the broken globe on the floor and then... Um, like when when he's dancing with like the girls, we sort of see it through the reflection of this window over here, um, and then of course I think it's paid off right at the end when he's he's finished trashing his room and he sees the globe and he walks and everyone's staring at him. He's walking away. I saw a scene like that in Faces in the Crowd. I'm pretty sure. Oh, <laughs> look at that. <laughs> there was no. It just was coincidental. That's actually what I was thinking about when he was trashing it. I was like, yeah. <laughs> You're like Orson Welles. Yes. Um, but even then when he walks past that mirror and it's like a collection of mirrors you see like so many of him and I feel like that's a perfect way of framing him and just like do we really know this person yet? Because at this point we still don't know what Rosebud means we still don't know what the, the globe means in, in the context of the story I think we both have probably been spoiled mm-hmm. that Rosebud oh, yeah. is a place I mean that was kind of something we both already kind of knew going in just because mm-hmm. of all the references and Cinema, yeah, but um, I think at that point in the story, I think it's like perfectly earned this motif of reflection shots well, it's a, and looking it's through a, mirrors. It's a board, isn't it? It's not place. Well, it, a... I guess it is like the board, but like what you know, in the terms of people being like, oh, but Rosebud's a, a a person. Is it a woman that he lost? And in my opinion, in my like thinking, it's it's a place. It's the place in mm-hmm. in the globe, the snowy cabin and him playing with it. I I know it's all sort of representative of just that time in his life. Yeah. But like in the most simplest of terms, I feel like Rosebud is the place. Okay. That's like how I kind of deduct it. 
Um, but yeah, other than that, I'm pretty happy to move in the highlight scenes if you are. Yeah, yeah. Delicious. I think, <laughs> I think for me, my my highlight scene is either going to be the address that he gives to before oh, yeah. people. I think some of the the wides are insane and just the, the feeling. It, Do you think uh, there was some chroma keying in there it's of some kind? Could have potentially been, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, or the crane shot in to the, which is the intro to mm. uh, the character that is his second wife. And uh, just seeing that, you're sort of just like, wow, this is this has really gone up a notch. This is right. different. This is on the sidewalk, yeah? When he first meets that. No, uh, when uh, when, At you, the address? when the investigator journalists rock up and she's drinking in the bar. Oh, it's very yeah, early yeah, on. yeah, 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 yeah. It's like yeah, first I fifteen what, minutes. I, know what you're about. Um, I was very tired when I watched the first hour. Of this okay, film. I should clarify <laughs> to everyone. So they would probably be my highlights. Very nice. Uh, my, I kind of wrote a shot as my highlight scene just because it was it was a little tricky. Like, I don't want to say oh the opening because it's a classic. Everyone knows it's a classic. Yeah. Um, I think my favorite shot is um, when we initially see the play open up or the curtains rise and uh, for that first time and the camera, it must be a crane, but like it's going up sort of past all the poles and the mm-hmm. sort of the load bearing stuff on top. And then we see those two sort of stage hands up on the top. Um, just that shot. I was like, this is so impressive. And there's a lot of impressive shots in this film. I get <laughs> it. But that one really like, I took a step back. I was like, wow, that's like, cause you're right. 1941, this stuff, wasn't easy back then no and it's not necessarily easy now but things you know things are but different. what are our excuses <laughs> <laughs> exactly we can't afford a gym yeah. <laughs> um so that might have been my favorite shot and i want to give a shout out to a character i think my favorite character in the film is the guy in the play and it's it's a different um stage or it's a different play rather mm-hmm. later in the film when the guy he's just slowly tearing up the piece of paper i don't know if it's a newspaper or a pamphlet and then he just like completely tears it to shreds by the end of the <laughs> the end of the performance. I was like, I like this guy. He's my favorite character now. <laughs> the iconic clap shot. Oh, yeah, that's great. The Orson Welles clap uh, shot. You feel you feel so bad for him in that scene. Oh yeah. Because he's trying so hard to like save save face, save this position, and he's like, oh no, that's that's gonna be like me trying to tell people how good the last was part two is <laughs> alone in a crowd of people in the last jedi of video games <laughs> pop culture reference yeah i know whoa no worries candy. well citizen kane is out in wide release it's currently on netflix canada um <laughs> i'll quickly check um on my just watch app which is pretty good for australian streaming services this episode is brought to you by the just watch app <laughs> It's a good app. I probably should have... Um, Sorry, guys. I probably should have done this earlier, but I watched it on my Blu-ray version that I bought years and years and years and years ago. So, that's there now. Um, oh, what are you doing? Solomon Kane is not the film I was looking up, sir. All right, here we go. Citizen Kane. Uh, oh, I guess you can't stream it in Australia. So, if you've got a VPN, like Zeke said, you can go on the Canadian Netflix. Yes. Uh, otherwise, you're going to have to rent it. Oh, sorry. You can't even rent. It's just buy... Google Play, YouTube, Apple, etc., etc. Wow. So good luck if you're an Australian trying to rent or stream this film. It's probably like two dollars. It's at a wide release, though. Exactly. So you're fine, get it on Blu-ray. Guys. It's a must. It looks fantastic on Blu-ray. It looks excellent. I can imagine. Yeah. I can imagine. But or or get There's a VPN service. 
We're not getting sponsored, Zeke. <laughs> no worries, Jake. What is new in streaming sites this week? In streaming sites this week. Um, bit of an interesting week, for sure. Let's see. So on Disney Plus, and this usually all drops on the Friday. So you yeah. have to wait for this. Uh, Into the Unknown, which I believe is a documentary on the making of Frozen 2. Uh, Diary of a Wimpy Kid, The Long Hole. So for those who don't know, that's the crap one. Actually, I haven't seen it yet. I've seen the other three. This, this is one where they recast everyone. Oh. Diary of a Wimpy And it looks, it looks terrible. So, um, I'm not I'm sure not... I'll watch the... I guess they're all getting a bit old. Yeah, well, that's the theme. But like, even like Roderick, it's like, come on, you can't recast Roderick. Are you crazy? Are you kidding me? I don't know. I'll I'll probably watch it just out of curiosity, okay. you know, because um, I want to see how terrible this. But it, it's is. technically a part of the same universe as the other three. I think so. Yeah, it's yeah. meant to be like the fourth film, but just everyone's different. Very odd. I wonder who Rowley looks like. In this, oh, who cares? <laughs> um, also coming this week to Disney Plus is One Hundred and One Dalmatians season one. So I guess there was a show. They're made after the film. I'm not sure. Uh, A&T Farm or Ant Farm, seasons one through three. Big Hero 6, season two. Apparently, that's a show as well. Big Hero 6. I think it's a 2D animation. That's interesting. Um, So, if you're into that, there's that. Uh, Marvel Spider-Man season two. Don't ask me which. I don't care. (laughs) Just Spider-Man season two. I don't know what that means. Uh, And Rapunzel's Tangled Adventure season three. I guess that's a show as well. Then why why is Adventure singular? should be plural. That's a lot of shows. That's a lot of shows, yeah. And then lastly, Raven's Home Season 3. And it, this is me sugarcoating it. This, there's more shows that come out. I just picked the ones that I think kind of stand out a bit more so. Disney so Plus. are you saying people are getting value for money on Disney Plus? <laughs> it sounds like it. I mean, if you like Diary of a Wimpy Kid, The Long Hole, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, or Frozen 2. You can watch that documentary. So that will drop on Friday. Uh, on stand this week, you're getting Yellowstone season three, which I think is a new. That's like a new season coming out for a show. Mm. Uh, Sons of Denmark, which is a 2019 film. Uh, Chappelle, Chappelle, which is a 2014 mini series about the cannabis smuggler in Indonesia. Do you remember that? No. No, she was like smuggling smuggling uh, cannabis into in- Indonesia, and like they arrested her. I think. Oh, Chappelle Corby. Yeah, that's it. I think it's a mini series about her. Oh, yeah. So I guess it's a documentary mini series. I'm not sure. Okay, because she got out. Right, I guess, a few years yeah. Ago. A few years ago. I think. Okay. Maybe. So oh. she was there for a while, it sounds like. Oh, yeah. They go to prison for like 20 years there. <laughs> Let's not smuggle drugs into Indonesia. <laughs> I was going to do it next week, but now I'm going to cancel my plans. Mm. Uh, also coming is Invisible Waves, 2006 film. Uh, Normandy Nude, 2018 film. The Miracle of the Sargasso Sea. Sar- Sargasso Sea? I don't know. Uh, which is a 2019 film. Summer 1993 which is a 2017 film. Don't get those numbers mixed up. And also Knocked Up, which I is weird because I kind of want to rewatch Knocked Up. I don't know why. I never liked Knocked Up. No? Not a big fan. Yeah, no. it's not great, but like, I don't know. I like the, the, the two leads, I guess. I don't know. I like Seth Rogen. Yeah. Paul no, Rudd's in it. Don't really like uh, it Catherine Heigl. Right. Not a big fan. Fair enough. She's... It's like that with those mid... Yeah. What is it? The Audies? Audies were those. The the, the 2000s oh, the, films? Yeah, the Aughts. Aughts. Yeah, the those mid Aughts like, raunchy comedies are like very hit or miss. Well, Jake. Um, well, we, we still got Netflix. It's a big drop this week. Okay. It's a big drop this week. Uh, so, coming to Netflix this week is Eric Andre's new special, Legalize Everything, which comes on Tuesday. Eurovision Song Contest, The Story of Fire Saga, 
which is a film with Will Ferrell. So I don't know if that's like a sequel to Blazing, whatever. Okay. I I don't know. I'm just putting it out there. And Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle. So the original, like, sequel remake, whatever you want to call it. The one that came out a few years back. Yes. Uh, it's coming on Sunday. And also, uh, the local film, The Goldfinch, comes on Thursday. Oh, there we go. So that's cool. I might try and catch that. I've got the book. I haven't read it, though. <laughs> So that's that's it. How many streaming this week? So. No dramas, but we're not watching any of those next week <laughs> on the show. We Never. are into our finals, final week of yeah, the woo! Cinema Side Show. Can't have through the decade retrospective. It was probably the most one-sided poll <laughs> to finish off with. Yeah, people uh, are very definitive in their answers for this one. But that's good. That means we're giving the people what they want. Woo! But Jake, what are we watching? Right, so this week on the show, we're watching, or next week, I should say. We've already done a show this week, Zeke. It's not, it's not over. Yeah, let's not double kill, down. Yeah, let's not kill ourselves doing this show, right? <laughs> next week on the show, we're watching The Wizard of Oz. What would you do with a brain if you had one? Do? Why, if I had a brain, I could... I could while away the hours, conferring with the flowers, consulting with the rain. And my head, I'd be scratching while my thoughts were busy hatching if I only had a brain. When a tornado rips through Kansas, Dorothy and her dog Toto are whisked away in their house to a magical land known as Oz. Mm, they follow the yellow brick road towards Emerald City to meet the wizard, and en route they meet a scarecrow that needs a brain, a tin man missing a heart, and a cowardly lion who wants courage. Cool. What's this film, Zeke? I've never heard of this film before. I he, I think you go <laughs> to a place and you click your heels a few times and Ooh, that's, like that. that's what happens, I'm pretty sure. So, if you read that and, like, if The Wizard of Oz was not, like, a super famous film, right? which which got all the votes pretty much this week. Yeah, I think uh, it was, between the two of us, 28 compared to City Lights got five votes. <laughs> that's a big jump. Good, good innings, City Lights. Um... <laughs> Hashtag but destroyed. <laughs> it sounds whack when you read that description. Right. How wacky weird. does it sound? You need to get high watching this film. Yeah. <laughs> but um, no, so I, I should preface, obviously we'll talk a bit about it more next week, but I think as far as I can recall, this is probably the first movie I ever watched, ever. Wow. So I... I've never seen it. And I've Oh my God. That's shocking to me. I've probably seen this film like 200 times at least. That's as a dick. But um, I haven't watched it in years, so this will be very interesting to go back and yeah. not even necessarily see how it holds up. I know it does hold up. Like, it's obviously an incredibly popular film for a reason. But um, just just looking at it from that lens of and now that I'm 23 years old compared to, like, I was probably, like, three or four years old when I watched this, just consistently to maybe my preteens. Mm. But I'm very curious to see... see uh, yeah, basically how it holds up. I guess. <laughs> just contradicting myself. Well, no dramas. I'm looking forward to watching it and hopefully not giving too bad a hot take. Oh. Uh, boy. <laughs> um, you know what? I'm going to just check right now what the letterbox average is because I want to say... Well, yeah, I don't think you're going to think it's a bad film. Oh, no. I've got faith. We'll be, she'll be right, as they say. She'll be all right. Let's see. The Wizard of Oz 1939, directed by Victor Fleming. It's technically the same director as Gone with the Wind. Um, there's an interesting story behind that because they came out in the same year, of course. Intriguing. Uh, the film has an average of four out of five. Okay. 
with uh, pretty heavy emphasis on the four star and the five star ranking. So yeah, people really like this film. <laughs> well, we shall find out next week what my verdict is. But until then, Ooh. thank you for joining us for the Cinema Shard Show podcast. I was Zeke. I was Jay. And we'll catch you next week with The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> <laughs>